Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. In today's episode, Bayern pushed the TT button. Thomas Tuchel comes in for Julian Nagelsmann. Shock development, or is it? Christoph thinks it's just logical. More about that. We'll also answer your questions from supporters. We also take a look at the German national team in match day one after the World Cup fiasco in Qatar. And we'll be looking at Xavi Alonso's time at Bayer Leverkusen so far. For all of this, and actually not that much more, it's Bien Hunt. Christoph, we have lots to talk about because a few things happened, even though there was no Bundesliga football. A few things happened at Bayern Munich. A few things happened with the German national team. They started their post-World Cup phase with a 2-0 win over Peru. And we have our supporter members' question to answer. We asked our supporters to submit some queries, and they did, and we will answer them in the course of this pod. But should we perhaps start with the football and talk about the German national team? Because if they won 2-0, Niklas Füllkrug with a double. Um, how did you like the performance? Um, I enjoyed it in the first half, actually. They created a lot of chances. They looked fresh. They looked agile. They, um, uh, Niklas Füllkrug is probably the, the answer, not to all questions, but to some, um, because um, the German national team gave away a lot of goal chances at the World Cup. They gave away again. Uh, some goal chances against uh, Peru in the first half, but uh, Niklas Füllkrug uh, scored twice. So uh, I, I would say it was an okay performance and um, it wasn't more than okay because the um, second half was um, actually pretty boring, uh, to be honest. Um because uh, they somehow lost it and then they got a penalty that um, Kai Havertz uh, uh, didn't convert. He hit the post and then he banged in the, the ball that was coming back uh, from the post. And as we know, I, reading from Twitter, as a lot of people don't know, but as Kai Havertz <laughs> knew <laughs> that he wasn't allowed to 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 strike again, and uh, when he scored uh, from the rebound, he didn't celebrate. So, did you know? I did. I, I did, and it's a good law because it would be easy if you can play a one-two with a post to score. <laughs> right? So, the clever rules of football. Here, here, here they are. <laughs> I, I think it's 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 not so much about the um, um, uh, about the post. It's it's only that uh, somebody isn't allowed to to. I know, Christoph. I know. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. But 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 I, from reading, uh, especially on Twitter, uh, it caught a lot of people by surprise, and and they were complaining. I didn't know about this rule. It's it's utterly rubbish, and and so on and so on. So. Um, they, I, I try to to explain it, but uh, the, the worst laws are those you don't know about. That's that's always the case. 
Yeah, but but um, so um, I think the general question, and and I, I would would ask you is, or what Germany is trying to do is to create some momentum uh, towards the European Championship that is, surprise, surprise, next year, even bigger surprise, in Germany. So uh, Germany is playing a lot of friendlies until then and tries to create something. And... Um, And and from and I think it's so 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 we we don't only have to talk about footballing results and performance and so but the bigger questions is do they get something going and and when when you look at it from that perspective uh, what's your impression I think we're going to have the same discussion after every game with Germany because it's a friendly and we know that even if they try hard those friendlies will never be the same level as a as a competitive game. It'll be interesting to see if the, the Belgium game will have more intensity. But we will always, I think, wonder what does that really tell us about this team? What does it really tell us about the selection? I think it's interesting because the idea maybe was to build a team for the Euros. That, that of course, is the idea. But I think because there's going to be so many injuries and changes and tactical experiments that there's a danger almost that we won't really see a team emerge before close to the Euros again. I don't see this Germany team like Italy playing, you know, the same 11 for 18 months, same system. Um, maybe because we have better players than Italy and you have to rotate more than they did before the Euros in 2021. But Yeah, I just don't not sure how much team building will really happen. I think that um, uh, Hansi Flick sees the problem, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if later on this year he probably starts to have talking about having a backbone and maybe have like six, seven field players that are his regulars and so on and. And, and reduces the amount of experiments. Um, because I, I think it's also a learning from the um, World Cup where there probably were too many experiments or where, where you didn't have the feeling that he had the team uh, that is heading uh, in this direction during the year. Um, well, they, um, they were experimenting If, if you can call it um, with a 442 um, also um, does this is this part of this process of experimenting or is this part of the um, how can we call that uh, he heading towards something that the players can rely on? Uh, uh, when the uh, European Championship is getting closer. Something like a 4-4-2, we tried it, tick it off, forget about it, or, or what do you think? Um, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I, I mean, I, I don't see how Timo Werner is starting the Euros next year if he continues to play the way he's playing in the, at Leipzig at the moment. So for those reasons alone, that formation might not work. 
Um, I think also Flick will have a, a problem, if you call it that. He has to fit in Harvard, Wirtz, and Musiala. And that's not going to be so easy when you play two strikers, <laughs> I think. Um, because you still want some width. You want to marry a Gnabry or a Sane. So I just don't think that this German national team necessarily has the strength up front to play two strikers in the long run. Um, um, be, before we leave the German national team, you mentioned Timo Werner and, and uh, he, he was substituted after 45 minutes and he looked hmm, poor. Yes, probably yes, he looked poor. And um, he's coming back from an injury, yes, um, but also with Leipzig, he was not very playing very well. Um, is this step back, if if you might, if you call it like this, um, from Chelsea to Leipzig, um, was this heading towards? Uh, the right direction was it a mistake is it too early um to 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 make a judgment what's the story with timo werner maybe it's it's uh, now the chance to introduce an, another term for uh... learning fußball Deutsch with beer and honey a word that is uh, widely used in when it's talked about players and team, it's Körpersprache. And I think the exact translation also works in English. But but you, uh, let's talk about Timo Werner and Körpersprache and, and his perception. Yeah. Uh, Körpersprache is, of course, body language. And it is a problem for Timo. But I think the bigger problem is a lack of confidence. It started at Chelsea. And I think the step back to Leipzig was seen as a way to regain that confidence because his best season had come at Leipzig under Julian Nagelsmann. But it so far hasn't happened. Um, I was told that even at his best time at Leipzig, there was a lot of talking involved, a lot of trying to get his confidence up. So he seems to be one of those players who needs a lot of input and a lot of love. And a lot of trust. And maybe that's just still not happening for him at the moment. Um, Flick tries. I think Flick has been one of his biggest fans, one of his biggest supporters. But that's why I'm saying. If you think now that you have the first uh, game of the Euros against, let's say, the Netherlands or Spain, and uh, you know it could be a tough group, then would you start Timo Werner on, on today's evidence? No, you, you wouldn't. So... Let's see how long that faith can can last. Uh, Flick was, uh, just to finish the subject and maybe to find a nice segue into another subject, Flick was a big fan of, of Werner and wanted to sign him at Bayern as well, ahead of Leroy Sané. But the club said, no, we don't believe in Werner. We believe more in Leroy Sané. Uh, talking of Bayern... They were stealing the show. So the German national team, after months... Uh, disappearance after the World Cup, wanted to sh create, as I said, some momentum starting the international season with their, uh, or the, the not starting, the in a, in a way, starting the international year with this home game against Peru. And what happened in Munich? 
So all cameras, all reporters, all commentators, everything looking to, uh, to Munich. Um, and have you been surprised? I was surprised. I, I got a call on Thursday. I was playing football myself for the first time in ages. And I was on the way to the game and I get a call and it says, yeah, it's imminent. Uh, Tuchel is, is coming and Nagelsmann is going. And I thought, okay, wow. Uh, made a phone call. Was told, yeah, they're talking about it, but it's not for sure yet. It might take some time, blah, blah. By the time I finished the game, it was like, okay, all done. Tuchel in, Nagelsmann out. It was a surprise because the timing was a surprise to me. I thought, are they really going to do it now with those key games coming up? But of course, Bayern did it precisely because of those games coming up. I realized that they said we cannot afford to have this inconsistency and this lack of stability and dominance. All the things we've talked about now for, for a long time, Christoph. If these things happen in the next three games or next five or six, if you continue, if you include the second leg of the Manchester City Champions League quarterfinal, then the season's over. Um, so we have to pull, pull the trigger now. I was speaking to some colleagues from The Athletic earlier today, and they said, or we said, it's, it's basically the principle of minority report, you know, the Philip K. Dick novel that was made into a film uh, where you see Bayern feel like they have to punish the crime before it happens. So they fire managers before <laughs> they fail, <laughs> not after. And this is a story that's been now repeating itself since really the days of Ancelotti, Kovac. It's a magat even if you want to go back further. It's always the same. So you can have be you are successful, but the moment that you go into another season, the next season, and Bayern feel this season will not not be successful, they fire you to keep their chances of, of success. At least that's how they feel, keep it high. So a surprise about the timing, absolutely. But we talked about the doubts that persisted about Julian Nagelsmann and his fit for the team and the performances that Bayern had and the up and down. And maybe, Christoph, maybe it's a case of the inconsistency that a lot of young players have. Maybe that also applies to managers. Maybe they're also a little bit inconsistent, but a team like Bayern needs needs the stability. Joshua Kimmich and also Leon Goretzka um, have been praising Julian Nagelsmann after he he was sacked, and um, they sounded absolutely. It, it was not like just lip service. They it, it sounded as if they meant it, and I think um, um, he is a very very good. Uh, very, very good manager, and we, we have seen it. But I think you are right that he was a, probably a bit immature for for being a Bayern coach at that age, or with this experience that he was having, or was having to learn about how much you're standing in the spotlight if if you're, um, and that's far bigger. And then what you have, not only at Hoffenheim, and not to mention the village team from Hoffenheim, but also in Leipzig. And um, and um, we haven't been in, into the dressing room and maybe we should um, enter an, a second phrase because... 
Learning It's very often said when when coaches um, have to leave at Bayern um, that they um, dass sie die Kabine verloren haben. And I think there is also a literal translation and a, a similar meaning uh, what you have in English. You can explain it. And and it sounded a bit like, as if he had uh, um, lost some of his players uh, in the uh, in the process uh, of of the last one and a half years. Well, what's your impression? Yeah, I don't think he ever lost the whole dressing room, and that would be Kabine verlieren. But I don't think the whole dressing room ever followed him either. So this was not a Niko Kovac situation or an Ancelotti situation where they really couldn't handle him anymore and they were so fed up and Bayern needed to do something. There were players that generally liked him. There were players that, that thought he was a great tactician. But there were also players who were disappointed in him. Um, perhaps that's inevitable at a club like Bayern Munich and not the main reason. I think the bigger problem is the, is the performances um, and the Bayern board, when they went public with the explanation, they said, you know, these were up and downs. We saw, we didn't have the consistency. There's not enough points this season. And they then talked about his relationship to the team as not being hundred percent right and so on. But I think the main reason was more fundamental that in their view, he didn't get the most out of this team. And I think it's hard to disagree with that analysis, having seen all those poor performances and pretty average results. And even in the Champions League, I think Bayern looked at those games quite closely and saw that actually Bayern could have lost at least a few of those games, got a little bit lucky, certainly against Barcelona and Inter. Um, perhaps PSG are not that great a side that we shouldn't overestimate how difficult it was to beat them, etc. So in the end, they just felt he wasn't doing his job properly, really. And everything else was was kind of a side issue. You were suggesting in what you were writing for The Athletic that um, it was it also had to do with a kind of... Um, they now had the opportunity to sign Thomas Tuchel, who just moved to uh, Munich by accident or by whatever and um, <clears throat> and that they were also a bit afraid that uh, something could happen again what already happened in was it in uh, 2017 18. 18 yes when they wanted to um, sign him and Uli Hoeneß wanted to uh, have uh, keep uh, Jupinkas and in the end uh, Jupinkas retired and um, and Thomas Tuchel was gone to Paris and couldn't be signed by Bayern. Was there a, a similarity to to this situation? Maybe with Tottenham approaching him or uh, what? What's the story there? I think there was a similarity, but there was also a different case. It was similar in the sense that they had. Talked to Tuchel in 2018 when they looked for somebody to succeed Heinkes. And by the time they had internally agreed to really go for him and stop trying to persuade the poor Jupp to continue, <laughs> Tuchel had already signed for PSG. So they wanted to avoid that scenario at all times. And they understood from what was happening that he had other offer and wouldn't just hang around forever. But I think it's different in the sense that 
in 2018, Jupp was leaving and they knew that here, I think Nagelsmann would still be in the job if Tuchel hadn't been available. I think if Bayern don't feel that Tuchel is now a chance for us to really play a lot better, to have more success with his team, to have more of a tactical identity, more structure, if he's not available now, I think they would have tried to find a way to finish at least the season with Nagelsmann. So Tuchel's availability gave them the confidence to make that move now. And so Hassan Salihamidzic said the same. He said on Sunday uh, in Doppelpass, he said, well, I couldn't call Julian and tell him that he's, he's leaving before I had Tuchel's acceptance, before I had Tuchel, an agreement with Tuchel. And that shows you that without the agreement of Tuchel, that phone call probably doesn't happen. And in that respect, perhaps you shouldn't be surprised because the moment Tuchel was available earlier this season, it was clear that Tuchel was sort of the phantom menace in the background that would put more pressure on Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann, Bayern were so keen on him to sign him after Hansi Flick left because he was quite obviously the best available candidate if you want to have a German-speaking manager. There's Klopp, there's Tuchel, and then there's Nagelsmann. Klopp and Tuchel weren't available, so they went really hard on Nagelsmann. Now Tuchel was available, and in Bayern's mind, it's considered an upgrade. And I think it is. There have been a lot of uh, a lot of commentaries ab about this situation and a lot of criticism for Bayern, and because it, it was said, for example, that Hasan Salihamidzic, so Julian Nagelsmann is his coach because he wanted him. But um, as you said, when you look back, when he was signed. I, I think it was almost a kind of no-brainer to, to sign him because as long as, uh, and Bayern always wants to have a German-speaking coach, they broke the rules only for Pep. And Carlo. And he, Trapattoni, he spoke proper German. <laughs> no, but, but in general, they want to have a, a, a German-speaking coach. And, and as you said, it's um, so it was almost a no-brainer to sign Julian Nagelsmann. And, and honestly, he wasn't a complete failure and um, another failure in a sense that, uh, as you said, you were thinking about, no, we have to sack him uh, straight away and put some, uh, like, like they did with Niko Kovac, for example, where uh, Hansi Flick, he was not the premium choice. And, and so, so he was a a stand-in coach that uh, miraculously developed into one of the biggest surprise, uh, biggest success stories in the history of the club. But um, the situation is not similar here. And, um, um, and I think, in a way, Tuchel is an upgrade because now uh, Tuchel has the experience of, of, of uh, working with, very with a very complicated team and in a very uh, uh, complicated club uh, in Paris, um, working with Chelsea and in the Premier League, having been to the Champions League final twice, winning it. So pff, again, it's a bit of a no-brainer to, to sign him here. And also, I found it um, very reasonable to sign him now, because as you said, now it's crunch time. And if you if 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 you have the feeling that um, 
your your uh, the coach you're having is is a bit shaky also uh sign the one where you have the feeling that he will steer the wheel in towards uh, towards the right direction you've been following Bayern long enough to understand their mindset but from the outside looking in you think this club is crazy you know they have a young coach who's just won the title last year he's in the champions league uh, quarterfinals they've won every single game Uh, yes, there are three points, uh, two points behind Dortmund. So, but so what? I mean, come on, relax. But Bayern do don't do relaxing, and they don't do <laughs> they don't do finishing second. I mean, other clubs might say, okay, we've won it now ten years in a row. Is it the worst thing in the world to become second in the Bundesliga? Is it really gonna change anything? Bayern just find it intolerable. Just the idea of not winning the league—they just they have sleepless nights. Bayern is not a romantic club. It's 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 a it's a success machine. They they have to win things. Uh, end of the story. It's not with like Borussia Dortmund with Edin Terzic, the guy who has been uh, in in the away end of the Olympia Stadium to support his team, who comes from Dortmund has been there as a as a kid uh, to support the team blah 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 no that's not bayern we have a question from tom ansu who's one of our most loyal listeners thank you tom for being a supporter of this pod tom is asking do you think bayern intentionally leaked the sacking of nagelsmann a day early and if not shouldn't they be very concerned they have a mole at the highest level I don't think Bayern leaked the story early. I think they were very embarrassed by the story coming out because they hadn't able hadn't been able to phone Nagelsmann and actually tell him because the moment Tuchel said yes was supposed to be the moment that Bayern called Nagelsmann, but there was a delay between somebody finding out and uh, and Bayern calling Nagelsmann. So Nagelsmann was really surprised to read about this in news, which is is not great for a club like Bayern who always want to be seen to be uh, very serious and doing things in the proper manner and having that family vibe and so on. So this was yeah, very awkward for them. And as Hassan Salihamidzic said on the, uh, in the press conference and then later in an interview as well, He, fe he feels that the story was leaked from a third party or from the other side, he said. Now, I, I don't want to be speculating too much because I don't have the hard evidence, but what tends to happen in these cases is that it's not the two parties involved, so Tuchel and, and Bayern, they don't tend to leak these things. It's somebody who is perhaps involved when it comes to another club being interested, who hears about the fact that Tuchel has already said yes to Bayern, or um, you know, people in that kind of vicinity who then find out and they don't care about leaking or not because they're not directly involved. So I think that's what happened when Pep Guardiola's signing was leaked ahead of um, Bayern confirming it and ahead of, I think, even Heinkes knowing it. And I think a similar story happened here. Bayern should still be concerned, of course, because it doesn't reflect well on them and they have moles all the time. Um, recently, even sending Sportbild some of Tuchel's, um, I say Tuchel already, some of Nagelsmann's tactical diagrams, <laughs> but it's almost inevitable. That's, I guess, 
Christoph, I don't know how you see it, but I think that is kind of the the logical downside of having a club organized along democratic structures with lots of different people involved inside the organization that you have a supervisory board who have to be told when there's a big move happening and then you have a sporting director, you have a president, you have a CEO. So there's a lot of people and each one of them comes with five or six close people around them. So in the end, you'll have like 50 people knowing about things like that. And it's, it's almost inevitable that stuff leaks. There are so many people involved nowadays. So uh, all along the way and Uh, there is a huge international network. So, for example, um, when when maybe these days uh, Tottenham uh, was approaching Tuchel again and, and then uh, some were saying now, uh, don't waste your time on, on him. He has already found an agreement with uh, Bayern or something like this. And, uh, and, and someone from Tottenham is like, oh, shit, meh, 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 meh. And... And so the the thing is uh, can be around far so, and it's a I mean it's a far cry from uh, uh, from uh, things in the past when, when coaches were watching watching video text to find out that they were sacked. But um, Tom was also asking another question in in the Bayern context, and uh, this goes to you, Raphael. Um, He was saying, is your relationship um, with the club um, hurt when you write an unauthorized story like the one about Manuel Neuer? He's mentioning the interview that you did with him for The Athletic. Is it then harder for you to get access to the club players and staff, um, for, uh, staff uh, for other stories? Is a club upset with you for that kind of reporting? So don't they love uh, you anymore? I was I was a bit worried that they might not like me very much for writing that Manuel Neuer story because it created a lot of upheaval and 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 work for for the people in the comms department. But actually, in that case, they realized that Manuel Neuer wanted to talk, and if he doesn't talk to me and uh, Süddeutsche, he'll talk to someone else. So they didn't take it personally, and there was no problem whatsoever. I think with with a club like Bayern, of course, they want to keep control of the narrative. And of course, if you write stories that are seen as destructive or unfair, then you might have a problem getting official access to players. So you might not be able to do an interview, but it actually doesn't really happen at a place like Bayern because they understand that there are certain um, things that need to be written that will not be flattering. And it is not the journalist's fault to to write them. And unless you behave in a unfair manner or you violate your journalistic principles, then they will not react uh, that way. So I wasn't I wasn't afraid that they would cut me off. There is a, a another question uh, cons, uh, uh, around the whole Bayern and Nagelsmann. Um, Story and it comes from Ryan Garka, uh, one of our oldest uh, supporters. Thanks, Ryan. And um, he he is asking: Has Nagelsmann enjoyed too much power at Bayern? And if so, do you think this will change the club's operations going forward? For instance, the boss has often talked about Nagelsmann as a long-term project designed to shape an era 
which resulted in Nagelsmann having much more input in the uh, on the squad transfer policies etc uh, than previous managers. Um, is it is that the right perception? I, I, I it it wasn't. I, my impression was it's it's not that he had more say uh, than previous managers uh, because he was. I think they they wanted him as a long term project. Yes, um, otherwise they wouldn't have paid so much money twenty five million euro uh, transfer fee for. Uh, to Leipzig, but I think that inc that includes all the bonuses, and a lot of these bonuses will now <laughs> now not be paid. Okay, um, but but um, was he more powerful than previous managers? No, I don't think so. Um, it's true that Bayern listened to him when it came to a few players. He had certain ideas. Konrad Leimer is a player that he really liked. Sabitzer is a player that he really liked. I'm sure Pomecano is a player he liked, but All these players were also signed off by the Bayern board and they had a common ground. At a place like Bayern, it's a combination. Usually the club decides on the transfers and on composing the squad for the good reason that the squad and the players happen to be there for longer than the average lifespan of a, of a manager. A manager stays at a club like Bayern for one and a half years, two years on average as we see now again with Nagelsmann, but the players, they have long-term contracts. So you need to be sure as a club that these players are good enough to play for Bayern, even if the next manager or the, the second next manager comes in. Uh, that's why you never really have a manager calling all the shots. And Pep Guardiola, for example, was very annoyed and found it difficult to deal with that because he had certain ideas about certain players and the club had different ideas. And sometimes they just didn't didn't mash. So I don't think Nagelsmann had more power than others. I think he was given the chance to sign one or two players, but that is always the case uh, at a place like Bayern. And additional power then only comes from success. If he goes on to win the Champions League, then he will have more weight. His ideas will have more weight. He has proven that he can get a team to perform. So if he says, look, I need another left back, then Bayern will say, okay, fine, we'll find another left back. But that wasn't really the case. And I don't think it's going to change under Tuchel. And perhaps this brings us to a bit of a speculation, Christoph, of how this thing with Tuchel work out. I mean, Tuchel is a good manager. He's a great manager. But he's not always gelled particularly well with his superiors. Do you <laughs> feel that we might see a scenario in the summer, for example, where Tuchel says, I want this formation and I need this in the player and Bayern will feel, ah, I'm not sure about this player. We already have a player like this or whatever. And that actually things will go mm, a little bit less harmonious than perhaps anticipated. Tuchel is a guy who accepts um, others that he sees as equal professionals or um, that he, he expects their knowledge, their um, quality, and, and so on. So he is not interested in this, in hierarchies and, and so on. Uh, he is, but if he finds somebody he accepts because he's good, 
Or, or in the case of Marina Granovskaya at Chelsea, a woman that he that he accepts, it's it all goes smoothly because there are no problems. So so it will be interesting to see if he um, he goes on well with uh, uh, Salihamidzic with Marco Neppe. I think. He won't have to do too much with um, Oliver Kahn and so on, but let's see. So it, it's I, I think it's an open question because he is not not the kind of guy who easily fits into the hierarchy. That's true. It'll be interesting to see how it works. I don't think um, Tuchel is somebody who is so stubborn that he doesn't know how to adapt, that he doesn't learn, that he doesn't become more mature as a person. I think he's learned a lot from his mistakes, both when it comes to leading a dressing room, but also dealing with his peers. So at least for the time being, there's a big honeymoon period. What's going to be interesting is that I think he was so happy at Chelsea because Chelsea left him alone. There was no one ever at Cobham looking, what is the training like? What do the players feel? What do they think? Marina was in London. Roman was in, I think, in Israel or in Moscow, and they just let him get on with it. A bind's going to be different. Salihamidzic is always around. The players are always talking. Khan said he's talking to the players as well. And Tuchel will have to deal with that. And they are former footballers, so they feel that they have an idea of what's going right, but also what's going wrong themselves. And that's going to, I think, make for, make for some interesting discussions. In the past, Bayern's strength was that they could actually contain these differences and even arguments when it came to Uli Hoeneß and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge in an environment where somehow the, the thing still works without blowing up like it did at other places. Um, let's see if that can work with Tuchel in charge as well. It's going to be really fascinating. Apana Mishra um, wrote to us that he um, uh, can't wait for the FC Hollywood episode. I don't know. Was it an FC Hollywood episode? Because I think, um, or as 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 I was seeing it, it was not so much Hollywood. It was very rational, uh, rational from from a Bayern logic. Or is there an Hollywood element? Or can we look forward to get a Hollywood element with Tuchel in full yeah, flight? Yeah, I mean, it's rational from Bayern's <laughs> point of view, but it'll, it'll stay irrational for, for many others. And the fact that they just are so ruthless is in itself um, maybe not Hollywood-like, but of course creates the headlines and makes sure that they are always the most talked about club. Um, there's a lot of Hollywood elements in the Nagelsmann dismissal that we haven't really talked about much, uh, his choice of uh, transfer, public transport or private transport, maybe his uh, <laughs> choice of clothes, his choice of partner, all these things had an impact on perhaps doubts being constantly swirling around his tenure, but they weren't decisive by themselves. I think what really mattered was what happened on the pitch and not enough went right in Bayern's point of view. So perhaps, as you said, this is just actually, if not a well-run club, then at least a club that we can understand why why they're doing it. I think we should probably at that point move on 
to one more talking point that our subscribers have very kindly, our supporters have very kindly sent in. That was a question about uh, Xabi Alonso, and that's from Karen Govindia. Um, how is Xabi's buyout project going? And does a lot depend on how much of the team stays beyond next transfer window? Wirt, Diaby, for example. Um, what's this? Was a Steinglas nearly chosen? Ah, he's asking, was a Steinglas nearly chosen instead of a coffee mug as the Ultras <laughs> merchandise? Christoph, maybe you want to start with, uh, with that question. And no, in our minds, there was always the mug. I don't know why. Because maybe we are, we are more uh, a coffee than beer drinkers. Is that true? I, I mean, I, I like to drink beer, but not a lot. What about you? Are you a beer drinker or are you, are you the more sophisticated I, 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 guy I like, with I like, a glass of red I wine? I like the odd beer. I like the odd beer, but maybe not a, 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 at a mass, in a mass at home, like one liter <laughs> when I'm listening to pods or recording pods. I don't think that would be yeah. good. Okay, so, okay, so that, that's um, the mug mystery uh, solved. Uh, what about Xavi Alonso, Christoph? Uh, Bayer Leverkusen you used to watch them a lot when you lived in Köln. You still know a lot of people there. How would you rate Xavi's impact so far? Uh, so so uh, let, let's start with the uh, Diaby Wirtz uh, transfer window uh, thing first. I mean, Bayer is in the driver's seat uh, with this. And uh, I, I think they are not under pressure to sell the two. And I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that Florian Wirtz will play uh, the next season uh, for Bayer because he's also uh, just recovering from a heavy injury, cruised ligament and, and getting back into form. And uh, probably they see him as the player for uh, the years to come. And... Um, um, Unfortunately, in a way, and I say unfortunately because um, it's fun to watch Bayer Leverkusen, um, they might miss um, Champions League football next season. They still have a chance to qualify uh, for Europe, and um, and so um, and they they have a chance to qualify for the Champions League the same way than Eintracht Frankfurt did by just winning the Europa League. Um, but um, overall, I, everybody is very happy about uh, Xabi Alonso at Leverkusen. No, no criticism. You see a development. You see a certain style and so on. Results are... Uh, have been mixed uh, in the past, but but uh, we shouldn't forget that he was missing his best players for uh, the biggest part of the season so far. As I said, Florian Wirtz was out. So um, I I really think that we can look forward uh, to Bayer Leverkusen for uh, good things to happen there in the future. Or am I too optimistic? No, I think you are... You're not too optimistic. I'm also optimistic because you can see steady improvement. First, they were very defensive and not so good to watch. And now they seem to become a bit more expensive and easy on the eye. And they've had good results. And Xabi Alonso, I think, has been able to motivate and unite a very difficult dressing room. The thing I heard from Leverkusen was, yeah, Gerardo Suane, he had some success, but 
this season we saw that the dressing room was really tough and everyone thought, oh, we're just going to be successful again and it all fell apart so quickly. And Xavi Alonso, I think, realized that there are some really good footballers, but we have to work hard on getting that kind of uh, mental attitude right, which has always been a problem at Leverkusen because a lot of players are there because they want to be somewhere else eventually. It's a stepping stone. And that doesn't make always for very uh, harmonious dressing rooms and the big team ethos when everyone just thinks, how, what do I have to do to get out of here? Um, but it seems to feel different. And I think Alonso, through the force of his charisma and his tactical ideas and his versatility that he's shown, has found the right steps to slowly develop this team. And it's actually fun watching them at the moment. I really enjoy it. And of course, he is the guy that ultimately cost Nagelsmann his, his job because if Leverkusen don't play so well <laughs> and beat Bayern last week, then Nagelsmann is still there and Tuchel is, is not. So um, I think he's had some really good results. And let's see, they might, they might just make the Champions League, which would be really fantastic success for him. We have a last question, and that's also coming from Tom uh, from Tom Mansour, and uh, <laughs> he's asking a question that I, I, I'm really interested. What 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 you will say for the sake of the Bundesliga? Which teams do you hope survive relegation? I would like to see Schalke survive relegation, and I would like to see Stuttgart survive relegation. I'm not really that fussed about all the others. With apologies, of course, to Fafel Bochum and to Hertha and to who else is in the mix? Köln, maybe, and Hoffenheim. I mean, Köln has to stay in for the sake of the Bundesliga. But why, but why Stuttgart and not Hertha? That's an interesting one. Uh, maybe that is just my southern German um, uh, bias showing. Um, I always quite liked Stuttgart in a weird way. Um, they've had success not that long ago, and I think they, they should, they're an iconic club. And Hertha, um, perhaps less so. Okay. Um, I, I think I don't answer the, the question, but because for the sake of my... Bias, <laughs> because I'm totally biased, and uh, for the for my sake, um, I don't care who 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 survives or not survives as long as Bochum is surviving. Yeah, I thought so. And Tom was also um, saying, um, aside from becoming a beer and honey ultra, and Tom is not only uh, an old. Supporter, but he has uh, has promoted himself to become an ultra. What can we do to support the podcast? I don't want this pod sharing the same fate as Stallcast. Thanks. I, I would say, Tom, you've you've done all you could you can do. Maybe tell your friends or share us on on social media or, or whatever. But there are a lot of people out there that are listening to us and that are no supporters yet. And there are some supporters who might think about becoming an ultra and get the fantastic mark that is not a Steinglas or a <laughs> Bierhumpen, but, but, but I mean, you can drink 
beer from it if you like, but uh, it's it's and but it's more for coffee and tea. So um, if you happen to win the lottery, <laughs> or you're a very successful businessman with lots of money to spare, then of course we might be able to make it Tom Mansour's beer and honey. Oh yes, or beer and honey by by Tom Mansour, or the Tom Mansour. Sprechen Sie Fußballdeutsch subject um, <laughs> section. So, yeah, if you have loads of money that uh, you want to give us to ensure our financial well-being, then we would be open uh, for sponsorship deals or shirt sponsorship. No? Shirt sponsorship? Um, I haven't thought about yeah. this. Yeah, I, I, that would we be always, great. We're always on YouTube wearing stuff. So if Tom would give us a Tom Mansour t-shirt to wear for, I don't know, let's say 500 pounds per episode, I'd be very willing to do it. We hope that we could encourage you a bit more with this episode. And um, and thank you for listening, as always. I was Raphael Honigstein. I was Christoph Biermann. And we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast. <laughs>